who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Some of you may think a podcast about representation, it's not for me. But if you're a human being, then the podcast Reppin is for you because we all represent something as people. So are you interested in knowing what you have in common with your favorite actors to best-selling authors and leaders in different genres? On Reppin, you'll meet notable people you think you know. You'll see what they show up for and you'll see what they represent. It's an insightful, feel-good show hosted by me, Evelyn. So come and take a listen. Reppin is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share major tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life. And the tools of life to your writing. Hey, so episode number, is this number five now? It's number five. Holy cow, this thing just keeps lurching along. We have an amazing guest today that we'll get to in just a few minutes, N.K. Jemison. Uh, so exciting. It's going to be a great conversation, I can already tell, so be sure to hang on. Yeah, so, but we just wanted to catch up, as we always do, on some things that have been happening in our lives. And yeah, we may world. need to be artfully vague about a few of them, but we also want to be really honest about what's going on. So pardon us if we're not always extremely clear about what a project is. There are politics involved. And yes, economics involved. So we've been working on a pilot for a major streamer that is an adaptation of one of my novels. Already made a lot of changes to the novel in our initial treatment. So it's a new territory. In some ways, the the series picks up where the novel ended, <laughs> more so than being based on the events so much in the novel. So it's a, it's a reimagining already. And after turning in a couple drafts, the execs are still not sort of seeing where the series is going. They're not quite getting it. And we've been asked to go back and tackle another Revision, which, you know, it's it's challenging. It's probably the most challenging part of 
screenwriting for me. So, I, you know, sort of walking into this thing with some, in all honesty, dread, because it's not so much that I haven't learned not to fall in love with every precious word. As a prose writer transitioning to screenwriting, Hollywood will beat you out of that pretty quickly. But literally just sort of feeling like I didn't quite know what they want. And this idea of turning in a new draft that will shock and awe them. Obviously, it would have to go beyond, like they'll say, trim out this, cut it down to this many pages, move this event up to the fourth act. But those were the kind of half measures that we did in the last revision, and it didn't work. So when Steve and I went into our story meeting Friday to talk about the the treatment, and we're going back to treatment with this pilot, too. It's not just looking at the old draft and moving things around. We are starting as if it's new. And Steve had the most amazing idea. Well, the idea that I had comes from the realization that, okay, if I start with the assumption that the executives are just as smart as I am, but they're coming at the question from a very different direction. In other words, they're coming down from the money people, whereas I'm coming up from the dream. And what we're trying to do is kind of shake hands. They understand, they go to workshops by Robert McKee and John Truby and things like this to be able to understand story enough to be able to have conversations with us. But they don't understand story the way we understand it. They understand it from the outside in. We understand it, hopefully, from the inside out. So what they're really saying is when they give an idea, they're not really saying, do the idea I said. They're saying, do something that serves the same purpose that that idea would have or that I would have come up with if I had had your life experience and was spending as much time thinking about this. What they want is to be surprised. What they want is is to be put into the the dreamer space, in other words, to absorb your story and to go into a story trance. And it's like, oh, my God, I have to turn the page and find out what happens next. That's what they want. They don't want the thing that they asked you for. What they want is to be astounded and delighted in some way that they did not expect that also covers the thing that they said. They haven't had the time to do that. So my thought was, what is it we can do? In the first few pages that will have them have that, oh, my God, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, reaction. So that they are now in the story space. Rather than seeing something they've seen five times before in different stages, they're seeing that story told to a beat that they did not expect. And without being too specific about it, we're basically taking an event that was going to happen in the last act or happened in the last act of the previous version and moving it up to the end of the first act, which opens up all kinds of blue skies and green fields for us to reimagine this story, establish what the series is. That was the question. It's like at the end of this episode, how do I know what the series is? Well, we'll just we'll just start. We're going to start a series already in progress, much less character development. But I think we can pull it off. We learned when we made our short film Danger Word uh, with Frankie Faison and Saoirse Scott that you don't need two, three scenes of development with the characters to grow to love them. You can. I mean, we were just watching World War Z. They did it in 10 minutes. (laughs) So it's it's. It's not that we have less character development. It's that we have less time for character development. Yes, less time. But in that sense, t- uh, character development, like any other quality in a work of art, would be a cubic meter rather than, you know, so it's it's like, so we have to go deeper. That the interactions, the words, the images that we choose have to be chosen more carefully because it's not going to have as many screen minutes in terms of duration. One of the real breakthroughs was, the, and I have to be cagey about this, was the realization that because of something that has happened culturally, we have a shorthand for something that was extraordinarily complicated 
in the story. That right. because of something that has happened culturally, we can make references to something that used to be, you know, like people roll their eyes, what are you talking about? And now it's more part of a of a common conversation. So yeah, yeah. it's it's like how what is the language that we're gonna use? That the, the purpose of a of an image or a word is to trigger an emotion. You're trying to trigger a cascade of emotions. And if you have a concept that is so complicated that people have to stop and do a Scooby take, you've popped them out of the story. Right. Suddenly they don't understand what's going on here. And as soon as they're thinking what, instead of feeling, you've lost them. That is the moment at which the executive is, is, is reaching for the hook. So, so, you know, remember these people are smart. They, they want to succeed. They want you to succeed if your success helps them succeed. So it's it's how can we do this? How can we use this person as an ally as opposed to an adversary? I what do we need to do? I consider it like a Rubik's Cube, really, for me, trying to figure out Hollywood. There's the how do you write a script part? There's how do you pitch that script part? And then how do you work within this community, which is what it is, this whole village of people who have opinions, executives and producers and, you know, whomever else you're working with to also hang on to that that creative spark <laughs> that gave birth to the project in the first place without just getting cynical or throwing it away or just doing as you're told because that's never going to produce anything great right. it has to come from within not from without but but how do you do that that's what we're figuring out but i'm really excited honey i think we I, we're going to start working uh laying that to paper today and i'm really excited about it shall we shall we introduce our amazing guest i think we should do that yeah and you've yeah, this guest has probably won an award since this particular bio was written, but <laughs> at the time of the writing of this bio, no, so. <laughs> N.K. Jemison is the first author in the genre's history to win three consecutive Best Novel Hugo Awards for her Broken Earth trilogy. Her work has won the Nebula and Locus Awards. She's a 2020 MacArthur Genius Grant Fellow, just like the late, great Octavia E. Butler was. And that's um, Octavia's house behind me. Oh, you know, I was trying to figure out what that Absolutely. Was. That's Octavia Butler's house. It was on West Boulevard near Washington. And that's where she lived for years. We, we lived within walking distance of each other. So wow. we would get together for dinner and, and lunch and talks frequently. And of wow. course, it's fitting that that house is behind Steve because she was very close to Octavia and and you, you know, appearing mm-hmm. in the in the genre. And, and well, our <laughs> guest is N.K. Jemison, people. <laughs> Nora, as her friends know her. I hope it's OK if we call you that. Of course. <laughs> of course. But, Thank you so, so, so much for coming on the Life Writing Podcast. And Mm -hmm. and thank you for inviting me. Wow. You're our first novelist guest. So that's exciting. (laughs) Yeah. We had, we started with comedians. Wow. Okay. I feel we we started with, we started with comedians. I don't know why it just happened. Wood Jr. and then Pat Oswald, and now you. It's the the creative life, you know? Well, I'm not very funny, so I I hope I'm not coming down here. (laughs) Well, speaking of not very funny, we don't have to go funny. We can veer in the other other direction. Let's talk a little bit just about, as an artist or as a human being, trying to Mm. work and thrive during a time of plague. Um, especially mm. now where we, we tend to be in sort of alternate universes as a country where some people are still in mm. plague and other people are mm. carrying on as if we're not in a plague. And I'm just wondering how it's affected you, your work, your, mm. your mindset. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been like a lot of writers struggling for the last couple of years. Um, the, my last 
self-published book, The The City We Became, came out at the beginning of the pandemic, like literally March 2020. And immediately, like a bunch of, of reviewers kind of hopped on it to say, oh, this is a great pandemic book. It's talking about a, a figurative plague. Obviously, I was not anticipating COVID-19. <laughs> right. I was talking about, in the story, I talk about gentrification as a kind of symbolized plague. Mm-hmm. And that just happened to resonate with a lot of people, I guess, at that time. And so the the catch, of course, now is that now that I'm writing the second half of that duology is is what it's going to be. Um, do I acknowledge COVID because it's my my first set of novels set in the real world, and it was meant to be as realistic to New York as possible, aside from the fact that I destroyed the Williamsburg Bridge with a tentacle of Cthulhu. Anyway, but that apart. Um, it was meant to be kind of a realistic engagement with New York as it was. But New York has transformed, like, completely in two years. It is a, is a different city from the one I started writing about. And so I've had to kind of pivot to try and, like, do I incorporate COVID and, and be dated at the moment that the book gets published? Because, you know, things that I write at this point might not still be there a year from now or two years from now when the book actually comes out and yada, yada, yada. Um, so and honestly, just writing, the act of writing has been infinitely more difficult, particularly with this book that is set in the real world. I intended this series to be my lighthearted palate cleanser after the broken earth um, because I needed that because my mother passed away while I was working on that series, because I was just dealing with a lot of dark stuff at that point, I wanted to write something brighter. And then the world turned real dark. (laughs) And, you know, like every artist, I try to write what's in my heart. What's in my heart right now is not lighthearted fun. And, and so I've had to continue working on this series that is supposed to be life, lighthearted fun when I'm just spiritually not there. So, you know, I mean, it's been strug- it's been a struggle. I've never had that much difficulty with, the, the, with writing any book as I have with this latest book. It's probably taken me a year longer than it normally would have. I've found myself just not wanting to write it, period. But of course, I've got to get it done. Um, and I found myself... To- I'm sorry. I'm just oh, no. wondering if not yeah. wanting to write on this book also translates to not wanting to write, period. No. Well, the, the weird thing is that I've been writing fan fiction out the wazoo. You know, I don't talk about my fanfic. I don't I don't want anybody to know where it is because it's just for me and friends. Um, but I'm still writing. It's just that like what I'm writing outside of the commercial space is what my heart needs me to write. And I've been letting myself do it lest I fall out of love with writing itself. I need the writing to express my soul somewhere. And if I can't do it in my commercial fiction, then I I need to do it somewhere else. So I'm still writing like crazy. Like I've done two or three novels worth of fanfic since the start of the pandemic. I just also have to do a novel novel. So it's been it's been a little awkward in that sense. Um, But what I found is that that doing this writing against my heart i guess is draining it's I'm, tiring let me ask a question so let's interrogate something you okay. seem to be operating with the belief that you need to write against your heart in order to what be commercial no in order to write lighthearted so okay. yeah so so you don't you one of the things about comedy mm-hmm. is the best comedies do have a foundation 
in a darkness, in a pain, that laughter mm. is a gift that we have that allows us to contextualize pain. Mm. So to a degree, mm -hmm. what your readers want to do is to identify with your struggles and then see you come out the other side. Mm. That if you if you determine that you're going to let the dark portions of this book be as dark as they mm. need to be, especially in your first draft, mm. and then mm -hmm. see whether or not that if you express that darkness honestly, you can get to a point where you have perspective on it. It's it's not inside you anymore. It's on mm. the page. Now, mm -hmm. what do you think about this? Because you could write a comedy in the midst of the Russian Revolution, mm. you know, or, you know, mm. there is somebody with cancer. There is no situation that is so bad that people have not found laughter mm -hmm. and love and hope in the midst mm -hmm. of it. And I think that that's what people come to artists for to a degree, mm. is to speak mm -hmm. their truth. They don't want your cleverness. They want your truth expressed through your cleverness. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have a unique perspective and mm -hmm. the voice that is genuinely you is, I think, the, what, why you're successful. Mm -hmm. Because there isn't another voice like you. There's no one mm -hmm. who's ever been like you. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they we're all unique in that, in that sense. So I think mm -hmm. that, that the thing, this could be the best book you've ever written because you're, you're determined to take, to, for it to be light. You're determined mm. for it to be fun, mm. but you're dealing with the darkness. And what all of us want is to move through our darkness into the light. Mm. So, you know, it, it could be that you're simply looking directly at the gift that you have to give to the world rather, mm. than, an, rather than an obstruction. It's just, it's just a perspective. Well, first, I mean, I'm also, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, go on, you go. No, 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 no. Well, right. I just wanted to acknowledge your grief and the loss of your mother. I lost my Thank mother you. in 2012. It seems a lot fresher mm -hmm. than that. And yeah, the novel yeah. that I finished writing during COVID, The Reformatory, which hopefully will come out in the fall, was my difficult project. Uh, probably mm. took me seven years to write oh, it. Wow. So, so that'll make you hopefully feel a little bit better about wherever you are in, in your process. But I just wanted to stop yeah, and acknowledge yeah. that because it is a... It's a tough, it's a tough, tough, tough loss. And I'm very happy that you have found a creative spiritual home in that fan mm. fiction to sustain <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah. Well, mom passed in 2017. And I did, I did go right into writing The City We Became, which probably was a mistake, but I was of the get back on the horse school of thought, which was not wise. I did finish the book um, and I did channel more more of that sort of dark feeling into it than I probably initially intended to. And then I fixed a lot of it in revision. Um, the problem is I had just done that with The Broken Earth. I had just let all my dark flag fly um, with with The Broken Earth. I just didn't want to do it in this case. And, mm -hmm. and you know, so we will we will see what the end result is. And we will see what readers think of the end result. Um, but, you know, I've got other projects brewing in my head and those are probably going to be a little closer to where my heart actually is right now. The the problem is that when you you when you decide that you're going to write about the real world, you are then constrained by what happens within the real world. And our society has changed so rapidly in the last few years. Like like I said New York's not the same New York. So, you know, it's just kind of difficult to to wrap around that. I would think that that's once again serious fodder for writing because your mm. your readers are mm. also dealing with future shock. Mm. You know that that basically the world is always changing, but right now it's changing so rapidly that we can see it. 
Yeah. And that, yeah. I think, is driving one part of the political spectrum nuts. I mean, they're, they're literally, there's been too much change too rapidly. And mm. I think, once again, the, not to beat a dead horse, that, that that is part of the gifts that artists have. We feel, mm. we take the time to think these things through, feel these things through, and then we tell stories. And to mm. the degree that those stories reflect and engage with the real world, we're, we deserve the money. The, mm. the 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 guy the people who dig ditches and and repair the streets don't mm. have the time to go into their feelings, but mm. they're trusting that that their artists will make mm. me laugh, make me cry, make me think, let mm. me scream, let mm. me you know let me deal with these things. Um, to that degree, you know, artists kind of professional feelers, you know, just mm. just not not bearing those feelings. The mm. way people often have to just to, just to get through life, just to earn a living. And right yeah. now, New York is changing that rapidly. It it is an opportunity as well as a challenge. It probably will be more of an opportunity for me in a few years because the the, the sad and honest truth is that the change is happening so rapidly, and then the moment that it's I'm still processing. Got it. So you know the difficulty of trying to you know, articulate and, and, and focus what I'm feeling at a time when I'm feeling 10,000 different things means that my fiction is now feeling 10,000 different things. Yes. Um, and, you know, what I, what I really am I'm kind of also kind of groping with is that I suspect I am dealing with some burnout. And since we're talking about like writing issues, you know, I'm going to be real honest here is that like, I don't feel the joy in my commercially oriented writing that I used to. Um, and some of that is just simply, I've been doing too much of it lately. I haven't taken enough of a break. Um, I did take a break after I did, uh, the city we became took a year off before I decided to do the second book in the duology, but I feel like it wasn't quite enough because I spent that year in increasing stages of anger as I looked at, everything happening to my society, to the world, you know, as I dealt with the the aftermath of my mother's death, of course, you know, anybody that's had a parent die knows just how much work that is. So, you know, it's been, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. And I, I think I probably just need some time to kind of chew on all of it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. 
Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. During Women's History Month, come explore what feminism means to you with nonfiction storytelling podcast, Thread the Needle. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. Is time the best healer for you? Generally, yeah. If I have enough space to, like, time works for me if I don't do anything in it. My my problem is that I'm, uh, you know, a little bit of a workaholic, so I can't stand not being busy. And, and, you know, when I give myself something like a year off to work on something, immediately my brain goes to, well, I I need to do something in this time. I need to try something new. I need to travel, whatever. And, you know, but with COVID, I haven't been traveling either. So one of my outlets is gone. Ruins everything. I follow you on Twitter too, Mm. Nora. So I know that one of your your coping mechanisms from time to time, well, social media is both a coping Mm. mechanism because it represents connection. It gives us an opportunity to share information. But at the (laughs) same time, we're bombarded with just Mm. so much negativity that I, I know that from time to time, you just step away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I started doing that at the beginning of of Trump's presidency um, because I realized this is a man who thrives on making people crazy and I wasn't going to let him do that to me. Right. So I started and I realized also that I probably had a social media addiction. You know, I, I always thought of myself as someone who just used social media, like just to talk with friends, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I started realizing that, like, I would click on Twitter when I was working on something else, just habitually, like it wasn't even, I wasn't thinking, it was just like, you know, da, 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 write a paragraph, do this other thing, pet the cat, open Twitter. And, and I had to like, kind of stop, like, because, you know, there's a whole dopamine cycle, there's addiction associated with this. So um, I started weaning myself off uh, down to like an hour a day by like 2018 or 19. Um, and now I'm doing like roughly an hour a week. <laughs> um, wow. So I pop on mostly if I've got like an announcement to make, like I'm going to be talking with Tanana Reeve and Stephen Burns in a few minutes. And, you know, on this great new podcast that they're doing, I'll give you details when I know more. Um, and then while I was at it, I tweeted a bunch of stuff about like political headlines. And now I'm done. I've had enough Twitter for the day. I don't want to see any more Twitter. So that's impressive. And and by the way, if that if what you described is an addiction, then we need a support group because oh that, that cycle of writing a paragraph and then mm. clicking onto social media, especially when I'm on deadline, mm. if that happens more than twice. Mm. I shut down my Twitter tab, but I have not taken it to the lengths you have, like confining yourself to an hour a week. That is super impressive. It's not even a confinement. I feel better since I stopped getting on Twitter frequently because, you know, like you can't look at headlines 24 seven. You cannot process the 24 hour news cycle and stay sane. You know, Um, there are, you know. There's so many different ways to deal with stress. You know, stress is not Mm. the problem. Strain is the problem. Mm. Stress is, you know, uh, pressure per unit area and strain is Mm. deformation per unit length. This is what hurts us. Mm. He's crumpling up a piece of paper um, (laughs) who are listening on audio. It is is when we take so much stress that our bodies, minds, and spirits cannot healthfully adapt 
to them. So if you feel like yeah. you're in a, an addictive cycle with, with I've got to find mm. out what's going on, I've got to find out what's going on, just kind of in a low-level emergency state, mm. you might take a look mm-hmm. at the things that, that do help you. In, and they're going to be in one of three arenas. It's going to be something you do with your body, mm. something you do with your attention, or something you do with your languaging. You know, the, the words that you use, what you focus on, and the way you move your body. If you ever like dance or yoga or tai chi or anything and found that, that that helped you center yourself, then I would strongly suggest that at least once every three hours, you just set a timer and do that for 60 seconds. Put on a song that you like and dance, that that's part of your ritual. You find something that brings you peace and you deliberately do it. And if if you have uh, if, if it's a real problem, you do it once every hour for five mm-hmm. minutes. You know, mm-hmm. just just to this is this is the time. It's you time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to connect with you. Make a list of the things that you love: smelling flowers, looking at sunsets, looking at pictures of kittens, and deliberately do these things every few hours or, or every hour. You know, find something that works for you so that that stress is healthfully adapted and it, it, you become stronger instead mm-hmm. of it breaking you down. I and have if found you don't that, do that it'll break you. I have found that I need to like do um, club to not Eve in my bedroom every night with my lights <laughs> going and dance to the music I grew up dancing to in my my late 20s, early 30s out all night. It really mm-hmm. not only takes me back to an earlier time, but it connects me with my body and music because I spend too much time, I think, sometimes watching TV. And I love, love, love music. So Mm. I'm trying to appreciate that in Mm. in every moment. So hopefully Mm. you have that. I feel like you might garden or cook because there's so much gardening. I do both. (laughs) I've always done that. Um, Yeah, I I got a a garden level condo unit a few years ago specifically because i fell in love with its garden like the rest of the unit is basically a shotgun house but um, but it's fine it, it, it's it's great but the garden was the thing that i wanted and so um i literally just today got some uh, seeds from free heirloom seeds and i was so excited that i have this heirloom variety of sunflowers that i'm going to be planting this year um this this is gardening is my thing so uh, how, how about planting one seed every three hours just take, <laughs> well, just i can't take, do it right now because there's a big pile of snow in my garden <laughs> so, so or get yourself a little bonsai plant a small plant that you could spend a little mm-hmm. time loving you know mm-hmm. every couple of hours it's mm-hmm. it's taking that back deliberately it's deliberately mm-hmm. breaking whatever the stress cycle is mm-hmm. by putting your attention into something that you love which will slow your breathing mm-hmm. bring you some joy and just get to the point and you do that thing until you notice that you've stopped thinking about the other thing. You stopped mm-hmm. reacting to mm-hmm. the other thing. And you just understand that that you have the right to be happy, yeah. joyful, yeah, that's... peaceful in life. You have that yeah, right. And difficult. We, we need yes. mm-hmm. you. Have to, you have to mm-hmm. grab that time. Life won't mm-hmm. give it to you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you, you, know you, you separate yourself into the little girl that creates and the mother who protects the little girl. Mm-hmm. You know, she's been dancing well, as hard as she can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what I've found is that indulging all of my favorite little pastimes that I've always thought of as, you know, a minor thing that, you know, I don't necessarily need to do. No, I do need to do it. I play yes. video games. I am a 49-year-old yes. woman who plays video games. Yes. I love doing it. What's your favorite video game? 
Oh God, there's so many. <laughs> uh, right now, I've been really enjoying this super weird little indie game called The Eternal Cylinder. Okay. Um, where you play basically Cubert. <laughs> you uh-huh. play this little little creature with a little elephant trunk, um, and you're on a completely alien world, and you are running from a giant evil rolling pin from space. I can't describe it any. Sounds wonderful. Yeah, you know, so you can play that for five minutes. We do VR. I, I play for a few hours, but yeah. yeah. But here's here's the point that that if you if you have one hour for meditation or stress reduction, mm-hmm. you'll actually get more results by dividing it up into smaller chunks than if you do it all mm-hmm. at one time. There are some very specific mm-hmm. science behind that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to do with synaptic facilitation and, and some other things. Mm-hmm. But if so, okay. if you have that hour, and so if you it's five minutes on there, and that's the reward. You know, mm-hmm. for for spending two hours typing is you get mm-hmm. to spend five minutes, ten minutes playing a video game. Mm-hmm. Just find something that breaks up your day because mm-hmm. all all successful people are are obsessive. Mm-hmm. We cannot yeah, get where we're going unless we become obsessive, and that obsession can mm-hmm. hurt us. So mm-hmm. become obsessive about being healthy and balanced and happy. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually did something like that when I was working on the Broken Earth. Uh, last few books because I was struggling then um, to try and get through my deadlines and things like that. But if I I had a word count per day where I was trying to get up to 1500 every day. Um, and then of course, when I'm in like crunch mode, I push that up to 3000. But I rewarded myself every 500 words by going to play a round of whatever game I was into. It. Yes. Yes, um, exactly. And, you know that made the day pass a lot more easily, and it did take away a lot of the Fantastic. stress that I was feeling from like, oh God, I've got to get to fifteen hundred. There's like nine thousand more words left to go. Um, but yeah, it it definitely does help. I, I yeah, instead of that, it's several more rounds of your game to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just you know, frame it completely. You are the instrument that does. You are the tool. You're the axe that you're using to chop down the world. Mm. And if you don't sharpen yourself and renew yourself, that axe gets duller and duller and you end up chopping mm. more and more and getting less and less done. So mm. it's simply time to sharpen your axe some. You know, relax. Mm. Love yourself. Mm. You've worked so, you know, so long and hard to get mm. to where you are and to get the acknowledgement that you've gotten. And like I said to you before we went on the thing, I am so proud of you. You are you are exactly what I was hoping would come up, and 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 others mm-hmm. like you. This that that it is no illusion that you went through stress. It is no mm-hmm. illusion that people have both responded to you and jumped on you, trying to hurt you and stop you and knock you down. Mm-hmm. You know you are you you really are that person. You really mm-hmm. are that, and you need to renew and, and protect yourself. Mm-hmm. If I may, I think this might be a good time to sort of take you back to the beginning, Nora, because uh, as I mentioned, this podcast is airing at the start of Black History Month, which made mm-hmm. me think of your short, your great short story uh, collection and the title, How Long Till Black <laughs> Future Month. How about that? Mm-hmm. But also that essay you wrote about sort of inserting yourself in the mm-hmm. in the fiction and, and making the decision to write. Even when you didn't feel that there was a market waiting for you, mm. but just pure self-expression. Um, mm. If you had, if you could go back and tell your younger writer self mm. one thing, what would it be? That you will not be alone. Because the the great fear that I had when I when I first started writing science fiction, that was probably like the 90s. I had been writing since childhood, but like I first started seriously 
trying to get published in like the mid to late nineties. And at that time there were uh, constantly mentioned in science fiction, the four black authors, never including Tanana I don't know why. No, no. I don't know. Like they they just left you out. But I was like, just starting. Uh, I knew who you were. Okay. They acted like they didn't. So anyway, um, giant fan of the living blood and all of that. Like, how do they not know? Anyway. Um, but so science fiction tended to just mention four names over and over again. Hopkinson, Butler, Delaney, and Barnes. Hopkinson, Butler, Delaney, and Barnes. Say it four times fast and it makes it seem like there's a lot more than just four. Um, I guess that was the idea. And so when I first started out, of course, my thought was, I don't think I have a, a snowball's chance in the world if they're only allowing this small number. Because I knew full well, like like most people in my generation, we knew that there were plenty of Black fans of science fiction. Let me tell you something, black sweetheart. There, mm-hmm. is, there was an attitude among editors that Black people did not like science fiction. Mm-hmm. Oh, I yeah, actually had one female editor argue with me about mm-hmm. it. You know, she knew. You know, no, no, no. Black people are not interested in science fiction. The fact mm-hmm. that there was, you know, I said, it, you could go walk in any science fiction bookstore, look at the covers, and it's 99.9% white people and their imaginary friends. Mm-hmm. That's all that you see on yeah. there. And yeah. you think that that kind of exclusion does not have an effect, that the gatekeepers, the very people who don't notice the exclusion, are the mm-hmm. ones who are supposed to be looking for inclusion? Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, was, it was a long game. And yeah. you were right to be worried because if you had not been worried, you might not have developed the armor that protected mm. you while you, you worked your way through the, the flak yeah. to a position where you found people who looked at you and said, oh, my God, this is what we've been looking for. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've talked about it in that essay and so forth. But, of course, at first I ran into people who said the same thing to me, um, you know, literally as I'm a black person who is a giant nerd standing there with my entire history of science fiction behind me and a book presented to them as please take my book they were like well black people don't do that i'm like i'm doing it right in front of you and they're like you know but black people don't do that i knew a bunch of black nerds this like we all knew that there was a a a disjunct between what the industry was accepting and what actually existed yes it took race fail to even make it clear to me because as even in my case, until the like early to mid 2000s, I still thought, well, we exist. I don't know what our numbers are. Race fail illuminated the numbers um, and made it clear that it was that it was right, that there were there were just massive numbers of us, all children of Octavia, children of uh, Nichelle Nichols, children of, you know, all these folks who came before and showed us that it could be done. For every one of those four names that they mentioned, thousands got inspiration and decided to follow in you guys' footsteps. So, um, you know, that that was the thing that I needed when I was younger, was knowing that there were even just a few. For a long time, there was only one. Um, I hadn't heard of Delaney for years and years. I heard of Butler. That was it. That was all I ever heard. And Chip wasn't able to support himself in the field. You know, Chip left the field for all yeah. practical purposes into queer fiction and academia because the field did not yeah. reward him. He did, did not acknowledge yeah. his genius. Octavia was as poor mm-hmm. as a church mouse until her MacArthur genius yeah. crept. You know, and yeah. she, yeah. it's, you know, one step at a time, one step at a time. You know, it's, there are people who are going to stand on your shoulders who are going to be astounding so. because you had the courage and the strength to take the bullshit and keep going. 
I can't wait to see them and any amount of flack I can take that, that will make it easier for them. I am content to do that. So absolutely. Be strong, be strong. You're stronger. These Mm -hmm. people are, are resisting because they are afraid to watch Mm -hmm. the world change. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's, you know, be strong, be merciful and kind to a degree, but do not let them, do not let them change your, your commitment Mm -hmm. to your art and your protection of your heart ever, ever, ever. Yeah. And, I, and that's I one know. of the things. Oh, oh no, you, you go, please. You no, know, I was just going to say, and that's one of the things that I've, that I've had to kind of try and work on with myself is, you know, I've been angry for the last few years. I used to be hopeful. And, you know, without that general hopeful feeling, then, you know, the anger is, is on the brink of taking over. And I've had to step back for that reason. Like yes. I'm starting to do a lot more planful. Like I just went on a retreat uh, yes. to um, the Highlights Foundation. You know the people who make the children's uh, magazines. Oh, yes, Highlights. Yeah, they they have a little not compound that makes it sound like some kind of creepy militia <laughs> thing, um, but they have a, a facility out in uh, rural Pennsylvania. And yes, I know rural Pennsylvania, um, not the best place to be a black person, but. Uh, Anyway, it's a it's a wild little thing where it's like this gorgeous campus in the middle of the woods. You there's trails to hike along. You get a little cabin to yourself Ooh. where there's nothing to do but write. There's no TV. There's like crappy Wi-Fi. You got rabbits to look at <laughs> and deer and, and write. That's it. I mean, it was wonderful. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it it's individual cabins made it relatively safe during COVID. Um, I and some friends who had been extremely careful drove down to this place. Um, we had to drive with the windows open to kind of make sure we got the right air circulation and yada, yada, yada. But we drove down. We did our meals take out. They provide meals for you. They do. They have a, a personal chef there who cooks for the the, the, the uh, retreat people. Um, so that was great. And it was one of the things that I kind of needed to remind myself that I I am still into this, that I still genuinely enjoy it. I ended up breaking new ground on a new short story. Um, I ended up, you know, kind of chewing on proto ideas for proto novels, things that I have not done in years. I have not taken the time and the space to just kind of listen to my inner artist for years. So I need to do more of that. I'm I'm so glad you mentioned uh, short stories because... Mm -hmm. That That's is, a good segue. <laughs> yeah, it is, right? Because I know you don't write them often, and obviously mm-hmm. you're on deadline for a novel, and, and mm-hmm. a lot of people know you, not just for novels, but for novel mm-hmm. series, which are mm-hmm. so big in scope. Mm-hmm. And But you started writing and publishing short stories. And that's what we teach our, our life writing students. I taught in an MFA program at Antioch University for more than 10 years. And so often I would have learning writers come to me mm-hmm who are in the middle of planning or writing their second in a series mm-hmm. when they haven't mastered scene composition or breath. Right? Yeah. I look at it as mm-hmm. you know, a novel is like running a marathon. Mm-hmm. If you've never run around the block, mm-hmm. you have no idea what you're in for. Yeah. None, zero. Yeah. So you, people who do the, you know, short story writing is a completely different thing than novel writing. Well, as far as fiction writing goes, but if you step back from it and just say, well, just writing, it's close. And if you look at it as just the arts, it's almost indistinguishable. Mm-hmm. So it's as different or as similar as you choose to look at it. But in I, it's my position that a 100,000-word novel will teach you X and 100,000 words of short stories will teach you 5X. 
that mm-hmm. you're going to learn one hell of a lot agree. more by writing 100,000 yeah. words of short stories than you will by writing a 100,000 word novel. And part of what you're going to learn is the art mm-hmm. of completion, the art mm-hmm. of actually submitting your work and risking failure. It, it mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. The, the emotional components of the arts are as important as the technical or craft components mm-hmm. of the arts. Mm-hmm. So you're learning about yourself, you're learning about the field, and then you're working on characterization and theme. You In your, your uh, forward to your story, story collection, you talked about that a little bit. Would you tell us what it is that you discovered about the value of writing short stories? Uh, well, first to clarify, I, I wrote novels up until maybe early 2000s, nothing but novels. I literally was, as a child, I wrote novels. Mm. Um, they were terrible, but you know, I wrote them. Um, but uh, so it was not until I went to uh, Viable Paradise, which is uh, one week, I think it's now two week actually, but it's a, it's a writing workshop uh, in residence. Um, and it's similar in style and makeup to the Clarions. It's just one week instead of six. And while I was there, you know, I got encouraged by the instructors to just try writing short stories. I thought of myself as a novelist at that point already. I could not see the value in it. And then I started deliberately trying to write short stories. I spent a year very planfully, I'm going to do nothing but short stories for one year. Um, so I got subscriptions to uh, FNSF and a couple of other uh, science fiction magazines, started reading Strange Horizons and stuff like that. Um, I joined a writing group. Um, and uh, then I wrote short stories and I submitted them to the writing group. And when we were done with that, we submitted them to magazines. Um, in fact, that was part of the goal of that writing group. We would get together every couple of weeks and we would talk not just about, you know, here's my new story and let's critique it, but I submit it to X, Y, and Z this week. I just got these kinds of rejections back. What does that mean? Uh, should I continue? Uh, is it worth it? We were bucking each other up on yes. the process of submitting and getting rejections and so on. Um, so I would 100% agree with you that the, the, I don't know what you call it, fireproofing that I think particularly marginalized writers need in order to go into this. Um, you must be prepared for... <sighs> I hate to say that you have to be prepared for harassment, but you do. Yeah. Um, you have to be prepared for people maligning your intelligence, maligning your talent, maligning your qualifications, yada, 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 um, all based on something as simple as what you look like. Um, but, you know, going through the process of rejections somehow prepares you for that because there is nothing more personal than taking a chunk of your soul putting it in a short form, presenting that chunk of soul to a complete stranger and having that stranger go, wow, that's kind of ugly. Um, you know, or like, Not for me. Or, yeah, no, or no, saying, no, is, here's, here's some money. Huh? On the other hand, or turning, giving it to a complete stranger and having them say, here's some money. I would like to bet my mortgage on your talent. You know, that's... that's that's a wonderful feeling. It's a it takes wonderful a while to get feeling. It's a wonderful <laughs> it's does, it does take a while. You, know, you, gotta, I, I, you gotta deal with the other shit first. Yes, so. yes, you do. You have to kind of keep your eyes on the prize. You yeah, want a stranger yeah. to give you money. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. You know, but, you know, I, know, very, I would love, very few authors sell a story right out of the gate. It's true. So. I would say that the average writer mm-hmm. uh, submits, writes and submits about 30 
short stories before they get their first acceptance. Mm, okay. Somewhere somewhere between mm-hmm. 20 and 30 seems to be the average mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. really successful writers, but sometimes it's over 50. I you know I've seen over mm-hmm. 100. Those yeah. are the people who you you can't keep them down. Anyone yeah. who's willing to write 100 short stories and have them rejected yeah. constantly mm-hmm. Th- that that is unstoppable. That's well, you know, while, while we've got you, mm-hmm. I'd love I'd love for you to 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 discuss just a little bit. How do you conceptualize fiction? Just you know mm-hmm. what what is what to you are the components of a story? You know when you start to 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 work on something, what is your pro? You know there is the process of writing, and then specifically, what mm-hmm. is story for you? Huh. Um. Well, that's the how the heck do I define that? Um. For me, what it all comes down to, I I am a character-focused writer. Um, There are lots of different kinds of writers out there, people who like ideas, people who like the setting. I am primarily a character-focused writer, which is kind of ironic because people kind of seem to love me for my world-building. But I think of the world-building just as a backdrop to character studies that are far more interesting to me. Um, So... You know, when I when I start out with an interesting world and an interesting idea, it's still not a story for me. It's not alive. Even if I've got a plot, it's not alive for me until the characters start to live and I want to know what happens to them. Um, you know, I don't have to like them. In fact, many of my own characters I don't like, um, but I still want to know what happens to them. And that's the part that matters to me. So once I start caring about this person's story, then it becomes something to me. With short stories, I did have to make a a significant adjustment because short stories tend to not be character focused, or at least not primarily so. Usually you've got a good idea or a good, you know, setting or something like that. There's a hook. Um, And the hook can be any number of things, but, you know, usually it's not a character hook. Um, So I did have to kind of adjust that part of myself, but that's one of the things that I think was great about it. Um, You know, that year of writing short stories, and I actually wrote, I I continue to write short stories. I just don't do it frequently. But that year of writing short stories helped me figure out how to put the story in the first paragraph or how to put the core of the story, the hook of the story, the most interesting part of the story in the first paragraph. Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I did a story some years ago called uh, Non-Zero Probabilities. Um, And I think it ended up being uh, Hugo nominated. Yeah. Okay. Um, So, um, and in the story, it's a modern day New York magic story uh, where the laws of probability change slightly um, and things that are more extreme circumstances happen much more frequently. Um, and the story is all about this protagonist. It is a character focused story, but it starts off with her starting her daily routine of, uh, she, she puts on a little locket with a four leaf clover. Um, she does all these things to amp up her luck. She wears her lucky underwear, you know, all of this stuff, um, to sort of amp up her luck because just the commute to work has changed so wildly. Um, you know, she can't walk under any ladders anymore. She's hesitant to step on a crack, you know, stuff like that. Um, and so it's literally just the hook was that she prepares for work by doing all these luck enhancing things. That was the core of that story. Right. And, and it non-zero probabilities, luck, all of that is encapsulated mm-hmm. just in that opening paragraph of your story. That's a great example. Thank, 
Yeah, that's what I that's what I tried to do. So thank you. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of wonder whether or not a not with a novel you have more time to explore, kind of ramble around, and you're looking for that character. You know, mm-hmm. and so you know that if that 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 character will eventually emerge and then you get to ask questions about well what sort of world would create that character and how mm-hmm. would that character respond to the world whereas mm-hmm. with a short story you've got to solidify that stuff fast mm-hmm. yeah. you've got to solidify it, it sounds to me like you're still character focused it's mm-hmm. just that you don't have as much time to to kind of just explore the way you're kind of rambling around in a video game with a little mm-hmm. character kind of looking mm-hmm. at this looking at that you've, mm-hmm. it's, you've got to come correct from mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. get-go so well, that's great. I mean, I will say that writing short stories means that now with my novels, I try and include a hook. Like I didn't used to do that. I, I write my novels like short stories, um, you know, in the sense that I try and put the most interesting part of it on page one or within the first page or two. I am the kind of person who used to be back in the days when when bookstores were everywhere. Um, I'm the kind of person who would go in and would like open a book and read like the first 10 pages before I would decide to buy it. And now I kind of think, well, a lot of people don't even go to 10 pages. Let's read the first three pages. And that's where my hook has to be. I, sometimes I get upset if it's not on the first page. Right. Like with the first book of you know the, the fifth season, mad that I couldn't destroy the world on page one. I managed to do it by page three. But, but page one is where I kept trying to make it go. And no, I actually had to include some words first. <laughs> so. you, you said that if, if, <laughs> if you could go back and talk to that younger writer self, the, the most mm-hmm. important thing would be that she was not going to be alone. So that yeah. suggests that, that the emotions have been uh, the most important thing because that's that's what you went to more rapidly than a piece of career advice or a piece of writing advice yeah. so i think that 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 your fans mm-hmm. and people listening to this need to understand that the emotions mm-hmm. that you bring to the day to to be able to manage your fear your sense of loneliness mm-hmm. you know my thing is that is that anger is a mask over fear if you if you mm-hmm. can figure out what you're afraid of and mm-hmm. re- and re- eliminate the fear Mm-hmm. The anger always dissipates. So mm-hmm. getting in touch with yourself, and in your case, it was that fear that you'd have to walk alone. Mm-hmm. If you spoke your truth, the world would separate you. It would not love you. You'd, you know, you'd have to struggle your whole life. And I mean, and I made the choice anyway. Yes, you did. Because at the end of the day, I, I have always written. I have been a writer since I learned to write. Um, when I was eight years old, I published my first book made with like cardboard and yarn on construction paper. Um, you know, so the the urge was always there. It was just a question of whether I was going to share that with the world or not. Um, and, you know, could I, I could have just kept it to myself, been quietly nerdy and quietly writing all just for me. Well, I think um, the world is a better place because you did not. Thank because goodness you, you did thank you. Yeah, thank, thank, thank goodness. Thank goodness. It you matters. There mm-hmm. is... There is a young writer, hmm. perhaps a woman of color, perhaps something else, listening to this right now who you have given hope to. What message would you hope so. give to her or to him? What would you say to them? Because you're not in a world where you, you have to worry about being alone, but there are still challenges. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to yourself if you were only 15 today? Uh, apart from you won't be alone, I will also say it's hard, but it's worth it. I mean, 
seeing your own words in print, hearing people talking about them, knowing that you have added that tiny little drop to the zeitgeist um, and possibly help to shape the world in any kind of way, hopefully for the better, um, is worth it. So keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Absolutely. As Butler said, persist. Persist. Absolutely. In fact, that's advice we all need to remind ourselves of. <laughs> you know, not not just when we're fifteen-year-old writers, mm-hmm. but as we, you know, as we move into new kinds of writing, like Steve and I with the screenwriting, and new challenges emerge, and and new rejection takes on a whole different dimension. Uh, in some mm-hmm. cases, when it's like life-changing money, you're talking about with a project mm-hmm. going well or, or badly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Um, but find the joy so and find the balance. It. Yeah, it's all mm-hmm. you know, worth just it. kind of mm-hmm. you know, moving towards you know, the way we always wrap up these shows is the is the notion that, mm-hmm. that Tanana even I are trying to leave a trail of breadcrumbs. You know, just what have we learned mm-hmm. and what can we share as much as possible in the you know, so she teaches at UCLA and I've taught at UCLA and Seattle University and lectured at the Smithsonian and other things, but it, it I think that there is a core of of what we both teach, what we both share mm-hmm. about this, and that joint mm-hmm. core is in our program, the Life Writing Premium Program. It's just a, mm-hmm. uh, every week you get another lesson, another mm-hmm. another email, another visit, another another uh, lecture, video, mm-hmm. audio, whatever, for an entire year. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I, it's the best thing that we have. It's at lifewritingpremium.com, lifewritingpremium.com. You can check that out. And it's, I believe in the artist. I believe that the artist is, is valuable. I believe that we can have a dream of contribution and self-expression and that you can make enough money to be mm-hmm. able to not have to spend your time flipping burgers to support that. You know, yeah. I can't promise you to get richer on the bestseller list, but with guests like M.K. Jemison. We, you know, she is showing you how, she, what, who she is mm-hmm. that got there. So it's, it's the matter of being the best you can be putting yourself out there and seeing how the world responds to you. T, what, any thoughts? You know, one of the, the things I love most about a life writing is looking at the artist as the protagonist of a story. Mm. So, so often when writers come up against rejection and yes, they sting. Mm-hmm. They absolutely do sting. They absolutely mm-hmm. prick the part of ourselves that feel like we have no right to, or we don't have the skill to actually be artists. We have to remember if we were writing a story about a character who had a setback, mm-hmm. what actually creates the component of a story is what the character does next. Afterwards, <laughs> you know, yeah. not, how do you recover from that? How do you That's recover right. from That's it? what's compelling. Right? That's what That's I right. want to see. Exactly. That's what we're all trying to see. So using that problem solving ability that you'd use in a story to look Mm -hmm. at the problems in your own life and Mm -hmm. say, if the meaning of life is to be happy Mm. and writing makes me happy and I want to spend as much of my time being happy as possible, I want to spend as much of my time writing as I can. Mm -hmm. How can Mm -hmm. I overcome the obstacles that stand between me and that life? The Mm -hmm. exact same skills you'd use writing a story about a writer are the skills that you can use in your life as a writer. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's all I'm saying. So mm-hmm. good listeners, especially those of you, of course, who are writers, check out uh, www.lifewritingpremium.com. We say that's the sponsor of our podcast <laughs> because we are a self-sponsored podcast. <laughs> so they, are, well, they are the sponsor. 
and and you know go on and and create your own life's journey and 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 write the the work of your dreams even if it's only a sentence a day it doesn't have to be five hours a day just write in the creases if you have to mk jemison thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me on this was fun Yes, it is. I, I haven't seen you since we were at the Folger Shakespeare Library. I forgot to mention that. That was oh my we, gosh. We took part in an Afrofuturism was event in like 2019, I want to say. What? That was a long time ago. It was, was it a longer long... ago than that, was it? It feels like forever because. No, of... I think it was about 2019. So that <laughs> it feels was like a... 200 years. And I know. And like, to your point, <laughs> things changing so quickly. Um, mm. We just have to sort of get our, our bearings in the world uh, as artists, too. But thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, for your candor. And I, I'm sure there are many writers out there listening who realize they are not alone, mm. not just in the field, not just in the genre, but in their struggles. Where can they find you? Do you have a website, a place to get your fans and people can hook up with you? I'm at nkjemison.com. Uh, they can still find me on Twitter, although not as frequent as I used to be. Um, honestly, that's about it. Well, One you're the there at nkjemison, correct? Yeah, nkjemison.com and nkjemison on Twitter. Great. Okay. Um, Thank but, you. Yeah. Very, do you have any last thing that you'd like to share before we close up? No. Not really. Okay. <laughs> Great. It's yeah, been wonderful. Been, we talked about it all. Yeah. So, you know, thank T, you, why don't you give you, us the wrap up? Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again uh, for joining us on the podcast. Uh, catch up on the previous podcast if you missed them. Last yeah, week, I we will. talked about Jordan Peele's surprise visit to my classroom at UCLA and how we turned that into an episode of The Twilight Zone. We had nice. Patton Oswalt. We had Roy Wood Jr. And we have lots of exciting things coming up. So thank yeah, you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, you can put yourself on the mailing list at lifewritingweekly.com. And, you know, just it's always wonderful. And, you know, Tanana Reeve, thank you for being in my life and sharing this journey with me, sweetheart. Oh, thank you, baby. And thank you, and Kay Jemison. Let's all go and have a great writing day. Take care and be the hero or heroine in the story (laughs) of your life. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging, to mental health, to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real. It's intimate. And it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.